0: You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. We are continuing our series entitled The Journey. And what we are doing is looking at how God directs our lives During the journey of our lives, and we started off this series talking first about that each of our journeys or our stories, if you will, take place in a bigger story, that this story is actually God's story that he has started from the beginning. We saw that he was a good God, that he had a plan, and even when mankind had fallen, God had stepped in for a plan of redemption, God had started a covenant with a man named Abraham, and through this covenant was going to bring about a restoration for fallen man. And so our individual stories take place in this bigger story of who God is and what God is doing. And if we don't recognize that our lives are are in this bigger story, we start to live independently from the story of God. And You're going to have a lot of problems. You cannot detach yourself from the author of life and it not affect you. And so when Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. You might think, well, I'm alive. And it's so hard to convince someone who thinks they're alive that they're really not if they're separated from the author of life. And then we've been looking at individuals and how God has worked in their stories. And we looked at Abraham, and, and we looked at Jacob, and we looked at Joseph, and we saw that how, in the middle of their life and their plans, there are these defining moments that happen in each of our lives that change the direction of our life, that impact us in a way that cause us to re focus our lives. And we're going to be looking at David today. And so turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I want to do something with you here at the beginning. I'm going to give you a, a word. And I want you, when you hear this word, to think of a person who you would connect with that word. So that when you hear this word, you think, oh, this is the person I would associate with that word. And so what I want you to do is, if I could have all of you kind of bow your head right now, just so you're not looking at me, because I'm very insecure right now. (laughs) Just bow your head, and I'm going to give you a word, and when you think of the name that is associated with that word, I want you to look up at me. When I say the word courage, who is the person that comes to your mind? Look up when you have someone. Okay. Okay, bow your heads again. When I say the word dependable, who comes to your mind? Some of you are quick. Some of you don't have any dependable people in your life. Okay, go ahead and bow your head again. You hear the word angry. Who comes to your mind? Ooh, a lot of people's heads went up real quick on that one. <laughs> okay. Angry. Bow your heads again. Faithful. Okay. Bow your heads one more time. Cheat. Okay. Bow your head one more time. Let's end on an upbeat, okay? Loving. Great. It's interesting how people come to mind. And I wonder if the people who came to your mind, as I mentioned those words, would know that they fill that role in your life. I, I wonder if the person who was faithful would think of themselves in your relationship as faithful. And I wonder then, what do people think about us? Where do I fit in in those list of names? Or, or do I fit in in those list of names? And so when I mention the name David, there's usually a couple things that stand out in your mind. What are they? What stands out to you? Courage. What's that? Courage. Courage. Okay, what about the events in his life? What things stand out? Adulter, Adulter of Bathsheba, right? Murder. No one mentioned Goliath. That was okay. There was that little good thing. Okay, man after God's heart. There are certain things that stand out to us when we hear this name because of the story. In this whole life that we have, there are events that stand out to us. Again, they are markers in his life that have not only impacted him, but actually impact the lives of those around him. And I think it's important to realize that in this journey of life that we have, the same thing happens to us. There are things that will impact your life and that those places are usually the moments when you have the most opportunity to impact the life of someone else. So let's look at David in chapter 16 of First Samuel, starting at verse 1. It says, "'The Lord said to Samuel, "'How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel?' Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel had anointed Saul to be king. He had gone before God for the people. They set up Saul as king. He started off okay. He ended up not doing so well. And now Samuel's grieving because God says, I'm done with Saul. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. That's how far Saul has gone. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? I think this is funny. The prophet comes is everything okay? You know, you have that idea of the prophet. I've come. Yes, fire and brimstone will be upon this town. You know, the guy, you just get this impression. Here comes the prophet. Oh no, what's going to happen? Are we judged? What's happening? He says, I come in peace. Don't worry. Nothing bad, no plagues. Everything's cool. Verse five, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. That's what I told my wife when we started dating. (laughs) For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shemiah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all The sons you have, there is the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And so we get a little insight into the dynamic of this family. David is the youngest. Just go take care of the sheep. The prophet of God is in town, but you're not invited. Okay. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him had him brought in, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went to Ramah. This is one of those defining moments David is probably between 10, maybe 12 years of age at this time. He's the youngest of the brothers. And even as it's mentioned that the blessing of Samuel came in the presence of his brothers, it's telling us that there is a dynamic here. And we see it later on, even when David goes to bring supplies to his brothers, and they're like, what are you doing here? You're here to mock us. You're just here to watch there is a little animosity between the older brothers and the younger brother. And sometimes that happens in families. There's little tension between siblings. Sometimes, I don't know, maybe in your families. And so here is David anointed by the prophet of God to be king when he's only 10, 12 years old. Wow. Imagine the impact that would have not only on him, but also on his family. Mark Twain wrote, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And now here at 10, 12 years of age, David is finding out one of the reasons why. I am being anointed by God to be the king of Israel. Wow. That's got to do a number on on a 10-year-old, I would think. But it is the defining moment. It begins with a vision of who he is to become. And, And you see, when we have a vision of what we are going to be, there is then a vitality of life there is a motive to continue pursuing that direction. When you know what it is you want to see accomplished, then you'll have the determination to, to pursue those things. If you don't know, then there isn't the pursuit. If you're looking for a job, what do you want to do? I don't know. I'll do anything. Well, where do you want to go? I don't care. There's not a whole lot of drive, right? But if someone says, well, I want to be a police officer or a fireman i want to be an accountant there are people like that you know if there are someone who wants to do that they are determined and they pursue those things they go to school my daughter is going to become an rn and so she's determined she she doesn't go out on the weekends with her friends and she stays and studies cuz she has a test because she has a vision of what she wants to be she has the determination now to pursue the life that will lead to this David has given a vision of who he's going to be. And you see, we need to know that there is something for us and our lives are here for a purpose. The two most important things of when you were born and then when you find out why. Because we are all dying to know why are we here. What is my purpose? And it will drive us to do crazy things It will drive us to try and fulfill this hunger to know. Have any of you heard of the Mars One Project? Okay. It is planned on 2026 to take 40 people to Mars and to inhabit and live there. They put on the internet... A requirement. If you would like to be a part of this team, these 40 people, to go to Mars on this mission, sign up and you have to fulfill these obligations. 135,000 people signed up. That's right, 135,000 people. On the list of what's going to be happening, one of the things you see in the small print is. You're not coming back. You are going there, but you are not coming back. 135,000 people signed up to go to Mars knowing that they wouldn't come back. And these aren't your Area 51 people who live in a mobile home in the desert somewhere. These are PhDs, people with educations of means who have signed up to go to Mars in 2020. 26 and not come back and when it's asked why would you sign up for something like this their answer is i want my life to make a difference i want to do something that will be remembered i want to do something that will have an impact on history And so I'm willing to go to Mars and just stay there, not sure if I'll survive or what, but I'm willing to take that chance because I want my life to have value. Right now in Europe, there is an incredible problem that they're dealing with. One, or they're saying every week, five to 10 people actually leave and go to Syria to join ISIS. And you think, what? And what the government has been doing has been trying to tell, and these are young people in the late teens, early 20s, and what they're doing is they're putting out you know, public broadcasts saying, this is dangerous. And they don't realize by saying, this is dangerous, they're actually promoting what is pushing them because they want a life that is not meaningless. They want to get out of the mundane. They don't want to be people who are radical. The government doesn't want radical people, but these young people saying, I got to get out of this. I want my life to stand for something. Even if it stands for something bad, I'm willing to make a change because that's how strong the desire is to have a life that means something. So five to 10 people every week, young men go to Syria, join ISIS they just want their lives to have an impact on the world, good or bad, doesn't seem to be the importance, just have an impact, your life is precious, your life has value, it's sacred, and we need to be willing to take the opportunity to actually live rather than sleepwalk through our lives only to find out one day that we never woke up this is a call for each one of us to wake up to wake up and live before we die and this life this journey that you're on like David all of a sudden you realize there is a calling on my life to be something. David was called to be king. That was his journey. But you and I are also on a journey. We are also moving forward. As he's being called to something bigger, to a bigger story than just a shepherd for his family, you and I also are being called to something more than just existing. What is the vision? What is driving you? What is pushing you on your journey? And as we see David moves in his journey, we see him, he goes to serve King Saul in his court. In chapter 16, we see later on in verse 21 that this takes place where he actually plays the harp and so he goes in and he's a minstrel for King Saul. Chapter 17, we have the incident with Goliath and all of a sudden we see that David, here is a young boy who has faith even when the king does not. Here is a boy who has faith even when a giant does not. And we see the effects that this has because now David, who knows if this anointing with Samuel was still in his heart. I I have a destiny. I know what I'm supposed to be so I can stand before the giant here and move forward because I know that God has a call on my life. I am here for a purpose. I'm willing to go to Mars and not return. I'm willing to do this. Why? Because there is a purpose driving me. That is bigger than me. And so on David's journey, he gets into the court of the king. He conquers the giant. And then we see that as he gains notoriety because of his exploits with Goliath and then also being made a warrior in the king's council, it also brings an attention from the king that isn't very good. They start singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul doesn't like that. Saul gets jealous. And then we see that there is someone else in David's life. Chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Jonathan is King Saul's son, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He made an agreement with David. Jonathan, verse 4, took off his robe, which he is wearing, and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So Jonathan recognized, David, you're going to be king. I will take off the things that would normally belong to royalty and give them to you because I acknowledge you. In the middle of this struggle between Saul and David, David gets encouragement from the king's son. And one of the things that we start to see happening on this journey is there is a man, a prophet named Samuel, who comes to David, anoints him, and says, God has a call on your life. There is a young man, a friend, a close friend with David who says, I'm with you, don't give up, and encourages him to go further. And you see, to live the life that David is called to live, he needed people who could help him live that life. And you and I are no different. We need people. We have become so independently minded. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps. I don't need anyone. I'll take care of this myself. And we detach ourselves from church community. We detach ourselves from family. We detach ourselves from others, not recognizing that what we need is each other. What we need is help. David got the help that he needed. Saul tries to kill David, and he's on the run for about eight years. That takes place in chapters 21 through 24. And in this time, David's character is being shaped. He's on the run. He has opportunity to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He knows that Saul is sick. Saul is demented. He he has some strange problems. It says that these evil spirits would come upon him, and he'd go crazy. Who knows what was going on? If it was just a a physical problem, if it was an emotional problem, it was also a spiritual problem. But instead of striking him and ending that problem for his life, he shows mercy to Saul and he shows that he has character and he's actually becoming who he's supposed to be. His character is tested through this time what kind of person he is going to become through the difficulties of his life. And in your and my life, when we encounter difficulties, when someone is out to hurt us, to take our job, to take our family, whatever it might be, that is when our character is going to show. That is when those words that we started with at the beginning start to show up in our lives. Am I going to be angry? Am I going to be faithful? Am I going to be dependable or am I going to cheat? Who am I going to become in this time of difficulty in my life? In Job 23.10 it says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That is our opportunity. This is David's opportunity to become a man after god's own heart this is david's opportunity to become someone better than himself you see god is pulling us to be more god is calling us to do more and you know it you know the person you should be you know the person you desire to be but you fail to live up to that standard at least i do And God keeps calling you up. He keeps pushing you saying, hey, don't stay in this place. Get out of this pit that you're in. Get out of this mindset. You can make a change. And he's desiring more for us. He's desiring that we come forth as gold. And as he continues his running from Saul, it ends with Saul actually dying and David becomes king. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is fulfilling what, he was supposed to do. Now he's king, but the journey doesn't end there. I think a lot of times I had in my mind that when I came to faith in Jesus, that my journey was over. You know, everyone had a testimony. I used to hear all these testimonies. Yeah, I used to be so bad. I was into drugs and I was into this and I was this, 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 this. And then I came to faith and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's great. But you're testimony doesn't stop. When you come to faith, that is the beginning of your testimony. And that's when I found my life was really being tested. That's when I found out that my character was really being challenged. It wasn't before as much as it was now that I'm aware. And so David is the same way. His character is tested. And it's shown again how sadly it was neglected when he became king he was staying in the palace when the kings would go out to war in other words there was contention at his borders but he was fine to stay at home he got a little lazy there was no drive anymore to go and pursue what god had for him and he kind of just yeah i'm taking it easy saw bathsheba And as she was showering on the rooftop, he called, hey, I'm the king, hey, come up here, you know the story. And this is one that a number of you defined him by. This isn't the worst thing that David did, sleep with Bathsheba and kill her husband. It was a bad one. But there was a decision that David made that actually killed 70,000 of his people. We don't remember that one. That's another part of his story. That's another part of his journey. But here, we see that he makes a bad decision, sleeps with Bathsheba, kills her husband, and then for a year goes on and acts like this. Everything's going on. She's pregnant. The baby, before it's born, David is called on this by Nathaniel the prophet. And it's a beautiful story. Nathaniel comes up and goes, hey, there's this guy who's rich, had everything, had all these sheep, and he lived next to this guy who was poor, only had one sheep. And the guy who was rich took the one man's sheep, killed it, and served it to his friends. What should be done? And David said, oh, man, he got angry. That guy needs to be killed. That guy needs to be put to death for what he did. And then Nathan said, you are that man. And once again, we see someone comes up into our life to correct us. It's nice when we have the Jonathans encouraging us. The people say, hey, you can do it, buddy. It's not so nice when you have the Nathans coming up to you and say, you're blowing it. You need to get your life together. You need to stop this. And to his credit, he hears him. He does repent. The child is born. The child dies David continues on, though, in his life. And it's important that we have the ability to listen to the people around us. One of the things we're learning in the Celebrate Recovery is how important that confession is to others. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another." That's how we get the healing. God forgives. Healing comes with the confession to other people. Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Am I able to hear those words that will change my direction because it needs changing? How do I feel when someone challenges me? When someone says something? Oftentimes when I'm talking with Corrine, Corrine will say, You know, you said something that I I don't think was very good. I get so defensive. What do you mean you don't think it was very good? Don't you know I'm the pastor? I don't say that to her. <coughs> I don't say that to you. I wouldn't say that to her. <laughs> don't you know you're sleeping in the garage? Um, if you cannot deal with your own pride that will not receive the words from someone else, you will not grow. One of the most important lessons that I'm still learning is how to, when I'm confronted with something that I have an overt reaction of wanting to challenge, is to instead of challenging, stop and put myself in their position and say, what are they really seeing that maybe I'm not seeing? David does this. But even as he's doing this, the fact that there was neglect in his life towards his household, towards his responsibility, it affected the people in his life. It's when we neglect one another that we find ourselves in trouble. David's family fell apart. His son Amnon raped his stepsister Tamar. Absalom, his son, killed Amnon for raping Absalom's sister. And this is now part of his household. It mimics kind of what he did, killing another man for his wife. And as things start to play out, we see in 2 Samuel, in chapter 16, that one of David's counselors was Ahithophel. And it says that Ahithophel was... That one who inquires of God, or Ahithophel gave, the advice that Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Absalom starts to take charge of David's kingdom and overthrows his own father. And David's number one counselor, Ahithophel, betrays him. And starts to counsel Absalom and said. And then, as you find out, Ahithophel's granddaughter, name was Bathsheba. And when we neglect the relationships and the importance of those relationships, it has a way of biting us. When we detach ourselves from the importance of people and caring for people, we reap the things that we sow. And so as Ahithophel betrays him, ends up taking his own life. David's son Absalom dies, and this is all a part of this one man's journey. See, even though he was anointed to be king, his journey didn't end, and his calling didn't end. And I think that's one of the things that we need to recognize. We can't give up just because we've become followers of jesus we we don't stop here this is where the journey continues this is where the journey begins this is where we want to have the vision that drives us to do more to be more where we hear the the voice in the spirit of god that is calling us to be the people that he wants us to be he's anointing us to be these people you see God had anointed David, and, and this is connected to the story of God because God had promised a man named Abraham that he was going to bless through his seed, bless all the world, that God was going to bless the world through this man, and David was now in the lineage of this man. And you and I are being called to a bigger story as well. We are being called to something more. You and I, like David, are being called to, to more than just living the American dream. We're, we're being called to more than just trying to find a life that is satisfying. We're being called to, to continue the revolution that Jesus began all those years ago, to continue the promise and the story of God that was started in the very beginning that was passed on to Abraham and that has moved its way now even in this story to David we are continuing that story. And this is where we find our journey. How, how are we going to line up the lives we live with the story that God has in place? See, because we too are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Remember when he told Job he would shine forth like gold. God is calling us out of darkness into his wonderful light. But notice what it says, but you are a chosen people. When we see that word you, we think of it as personal. You, Sam. But he's saying you are a chosen people, not just you individually, you collectively as the people of God need to recognize that you are a part of a community. You are the church. You are the ones called by God to make the difference. Remember when Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You're blessed. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father is heaven. And on this statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so what God has done has called us to be a part of this priesthood, this holy nation, God's special possession. We are the ones who are to represent God to the world around us in various ways. And so when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, you would think Jesus would have a whole long list of different prayers and pray this way when things are this way and this way, but he doesn't. There's just one recorded prayer that he tells us how we should pray. And part of that prayer that he tells us to pray in Matthew 6, 10, it says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will supposed to be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's through your story. It's through your journey. It's through your life. It's through our life as the church. You are a royal priesthood. The kingdom of God is supposed to be seen in how we conduct ourselves, how we live our lives, how we show mercy, how we show kindness, how we help, how we restore, how we care. When people think of faithfulness, oh, my name gets called. When, when people think of courage, the names come up. Why? Because we are those people. We are the ones who fill those things. Closing in Revelation 22, verse 15, or verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of. David, and the bright and morning star. You see, David's story didn't end with him being king. It was just the stepping stone to Jesus being king. And oftentimes, we have a very... Short view of how our lives are to be lived. I was talking with Rick before, and Rick was asking some questions just about, okay, you know, Rick always comes up with these questions. Okay, what does God want here? You know, if someone comes up and put a gun to your head and, and they say, if you're a Christian... I'm going to shoot you. If you say you're not a Christian, I'll shoot you in the leg. You get to live. Does God want you to get shot in the head or does God want you to get shot in the leg? (laughs) I don't think God wants me to get shot at all, but, you know, we were just talking about that. And one of the things that came up is the idea of what do we stand for? And is that decision, is that the end of our life or is that the decision the kind of decision that actually has a rippling effect on the lives of the people around us. You know, I I think of that young girl, Mala, who wanted to go to school, and so the Taliban came to her school and shot her in the head, and she survived. And she continues going on to promote that the young girl should have education, and now there are tens of thousands of people following her because she was willing to live for a reason. And something like that, as horrific as it is, we see when someone has the vision to live for something, it actually affects the lives of the people around us. You know, the reason so many people are are running to ISIS is because there's no one being radical for Jesus. It's because there aren't people who are laying their lives down for what Christ has called them to, and they just want to find a reason to live, and if you're not even willing to die for what you believe, even to your own comforts, then I'm not going to invest my life in something that's incidental. And so I wonder if the call to to morph, this vision of what we're supposed to be, if it's falling on deaf ears sometimes in our lives. And instead of being people who are radical for how we live and the things that we do, where people see our lives and saying, man, they are sold out. Look how committed they are to helping people. Man, I've never seen someone who is so faithful. I've never seen someone who's so courageous. I've never seen someone who is willing to get this done for others. Those people are amazing. Amazing. If we're not willing to be radical, there is no Goliath we can conquer. If we're not willing to step into these things, then we'll find ourselves sitting in the palace saying, Yes, I'm a king's kid. I have the rights to all these things. And then temptation comes and we fall because we're not moving how we should. See, I think if we are living the radical lives that Jesus has called us to live, then people would flock to the kingdom of God, because people are dying for a reason to live. and They need to see that we are living for a reason. So David's journey did not end with Goliath. It did not end with running from Saul. It did not end from his adultery with Bathsheba. It did not end with his son taking over the throne and then dying and him regaining. His story continues because it was a part of God's story. And Jesus mentions him in Revelation. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star, because God made a promise. And in spite of how messed up David was, God kept his promise to David. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God has made a promise to you. Whatever has happened or is happening in your life, your story is not over. Your journey continues. See it and live it. So that when people recall your name, it won't be for that mistake. It won't be for that lack of faith. It will be because you were faithful, trusting God to the end. The reason we celebrate the cup, the bread, is because God is faithful. And here, even in David's story, we find the communion story. God's promise lives on. So as Jason comes up, we're going to partake of communion. And as you come up and you dip the bread in the the juice, I want you to take it and I want you to go back to your seat and we're going to all partake of it together. And even now, just as we're kind of doing this in attitude of worship, Lord, I pray that we would connect together in how you have brought us as a church to make a difference in the world around us. Thank you for this time. May you continue to draw us to yourself and may this time of communion be rich, Lord, as we step forward into an awareness and a remembrance of what you've done. Lord, may we recognize that our lives are still in your story. We thank you in Jesus' name. Come on up and dip the bread and take it back to your seat and we'll partake together. When Samuel anointed David, he poured the oil on his head, telling him, God is with you. When Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it. He said, my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. He was giving us himself the blessing. And so as we partake of this together, I want you to hear these words that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Lord, we thank you for your gift, your sacrifice. We thank you for your blessing that you have called us to yourself, that you have anointed us, not with oil, With a broken body and blood poured out for us to be a special possession. Lord, may we fulfill our purpose and may we pursue you as your people. We partake together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Would you stand together with me? May you recognize the value that God has placed on you. May you see the importance of your journey in the story of God. And may you be radical in how you live for Him. May others see your good work and glorify your Father. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of the day. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast.